your information is brought to you by Science Lab Loft Apartments. Need to live where you science and science where you live? Science Lab Loft Apartments. Ladies and gentlemen, live from coast to coast, we proudly present For Your Infilmation with Zach and John. Be very afraid. Welcome to Four Year Inflammation, a podcast about good movies, better cocktails, and best friends. We're your hosts, Zach Graham. And John Kaplan. And this week, uh, we were going to do this in honor of David Cronenberg's new movie, Crimes of the Future, premiering, but we 100% missed that due date. So it is coming out now because I already did the work on it. Uh, but that that's not the movie we're covering. We are covering the 1986 body horror masterpiece, The Fly. Ah, uh, I see. Uh, body horror masterpiece. I think all they had to do was search... Um, Take on me, aha, modern art nude on Vimeo. And that is where you could have gotten a great body horror masterpiece. I am terrified that you had that reference in your back pocket. (laughs) You know what? Where else am I going to keep it? (laughs) I mean, preferably you would have just like been like, yeah, I remember that shit. I'm going to re not remember that now. No, 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 no. You got to keep them in the back pockets. They haven't started charging you for the back pockets yet, like separately. (laughs) The back pockets are now DLC. Look, man, the inflation is nuts. The DLC, the microtransaction culture, you gotta pay five cents every time you put your pants on until you have the cost of the back pockets covered. (laughs) Wait, okay, so the back pockets are on loan? It's not DLC necessarily, it's just... Like it's it is le- like leasing a new vehicle, yes. Like it's a, it's your rent to own buying a vehicle from the dealership type situation with pants because shit's just expensive now. <laughs> I like when are they going to bring out the rent to own underwear or the single use underwear? That is a great question, and uh, I think the answer is on the aisle under uh, bladder protection, because uh, that, that is already a thing, and I really don't like how they call it. They're, they're kind of disingenuous. This is very on brand, I guess. They're very disingenuous about these, like, medical products and these, like, you know, things that you need for your body, like bladder protection. Like, you you look me in the face and tell me nobody took a shit in that adult diaper. <laughs> it's, is it not meant for shit? Is it only meant for piss? I, I don't know. That's the implication. Like, family planning, right? Like, okay. They're kink-shaming. You you put a cock ring here in the family planning section. All right, cool. Nice. Do they sell cock rings at Walmart now? Sometimes they do. I've actually seen them there before. I forget what brand they are. It's either a Trojan or a Durex product, but it's literally a fucking... They call it a grooved love ring, I think. <laughs> that just... Like, like, that's not nebulous enough without a demonstration. Like, what what does that mean? And it's like, this is solely being purchased by 16-year-olds and 40-year-old, like, Mormon people who are, like, just now trying to, like, figure out how to spice things up. I... Oh, uh, Icy Hot Patch. You could spice it up that way. Icy Hot... Wait, hold on. So, like, where does it go, though? In the uh, bladder protective diaper. <laughs> I like it when it's cold, but I don't like it when it's hot, if you know what I'm saying. Don't. I don't. (laughs) Good lord, this episode's already off track, and I love it! John, so this, doing this episode mainly sparked out of, uh, I 
made a reference to something else as being Cronenberg-esque, and you went, what is that? And yeah, that I think what I said specifically was, what the heck is a David Cronenberg? And that offended me. It offended me deeply because I was then like, wait, do you actually not know who David Cronenberg is? And you said, no. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Which is, and so the whole premise of this podcast is that you haven't seen many movies, but I'm just astounded that you somehow don't know who David Cronenberg is and have never seen a David Cronenberg movie because I feel like he's immediately and directly up your alley. Like, I feel like I couldn't describe a director better that I think that you would love his body of work. Oh, okay. What Was I wrong? How did you feel about this movie? So the thing about The Fly <laughs> is that it's, um, the plot is compelling. The, the plot is like, like great like they do a really good job with it i think in this particular version of the movie because i do know that there's a a few versions of it um or renditions i guess um right uh, it's really it's really great it is disgusting wait i mean (laughs) fucking gross hold on so let me get this straight you thought this was gross but let's say dawn of the dead is not gross that's exactly where I went with it, too, was like, there are some things that are fine, and there are other things that are, like, otherworldly disgusting. This is one of the the, the thing. The thing is otherworldly disgusting. This is I love like, that one. Okay. Okay. Oh, I love it, too. Yeah. No, the thing is great. Something about this, and I think it's because the plot is the way that it is, is just, like, gut-wrenchingly gross. Well, they did actually take some stuff out of this that was even grosser, and we'll get to that. But oh. I'm very, I'm very intrigued that, so you did not like this then? Like this, this, oh, no. is this like a but, level of gore that like you do not appreciate? It is pushing the limits and I'm all about pushing the boundaries. I'm all about, you know, making yourself a better version of yourself. Even if the version of yourself you're trying to improve is the gore hound. <laughs> so, okay. But this versus like Cannibal Holocaust. That's, uh, this is one of those things. The plot in Cannibal Holocaust doesn't hold up. It's just needlessly disgusting. This is very much a part of the plot, and it underlines some of the things that happen in the plot to make you feel more strongly about it. And that's good. That's why this is a good movie. It just is disgusting. Like, objectively, just pretty fucking gross. See, then you and uh, my fiancé are in the exact same boat. She fucking hates this movie. She had to watch that. She took some film classes in uh, college and they made her watch this. And she, I think she refused to talk about it in class because she was like, I threw up. I hate this no, movie. I don't want to confuse anybody. I actually really like this movie. It's a good movie. It's just really gross. Oh, yeah. I mean, certainly if you are not into um, <clears throat> transformative body horror. Which uh, we'll get into that. I want to talk about that a little bit. But if you're not into that genre and you don't know what you're getting into with The Fly, you are in for a rude fucking awakening. It's, um, so when we say body horror, body horror is like usually about a transformation of some point. Like the whole point of it is 
the big existential question of what is human. Yeah, it's kind of like a, a bit of a mind-body problem. Like, is it the human body inhabited by the spirit that makes us a human being? Or is it the human spirit inhabiting a body that makes us a human being? Or, at a certain point, when do we stop being human beings? Like, if we introduce something else into our body, at what point do we stop being human? Like, um, At what point do you start being more Pepsi Max and stop being more human? <laughs> so, is it possible to become more Pepsi Max than water in your body? I think it has to be. It has to be possible. <laughs> Interesting. Speaking of that, have you tried the Pepsi Nitro? Uh, you know what? I think I did try Pepsi Nitro once when it came out. It's good, but it made my mouth feel like I just, like, dumped a bag of sugar in it. Mm, like you licked the top of the 9-volt battery. <laughs> yeah, it was like, this is mm. good, but I feel like... This I is... feel it damaging me. <laughs> I feel the 15 minutes being taken off my life right now. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Every time you listen to this podcast. Every time you listen to this podcast, you lose an hour to an hour and 40 minutes of your life. Yes. <laughs> They'll never get it back. I cannot refund it, even if I wanted to, which I don't. So whenever I think of, like discussing what body horror is like a this movie the fly is probably the it's probably the easiest to get into like it's pretty accessible even though it's uh -huh. fucking disgusting um it's a it's a classic tale it's a classic tale it's a classic remake it's probably it's better than the original i've only seen the original once but i like this one a lot better the movie that i go to to like describe body horror is a movie called uh tetsuya the metal man or the iron man and uh, it is, it's a Japanese film where he slowly throughout the movie turns into metal. And so the big question there is what all body horror is, is like what makes human human. But like that uh -huh. is like the quintessential like exploring that question. And uh, right, that right, movie right. is fucking gross too, if you want to check that out. Um, it definitely is uh, different than like Tusk. Like Tusk is another body horror film. Am I wrong about that? Uh, I would classify Tusk as a body horror. Um, he's yeah. definitely a walrus at the end. Um, he's he's no longer human. There's human or, in there, like, but he's definitely mostly walrus. You can definitely play it a bunch. Like if you've ever seen Human Centipede, like the thing about Human Centipede is like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like the, he the, he tried to make them into something that's not human for like scientific like things, but like he's the one that's not being human by doing it. You know, like it's a whole like it's it's a play on a, on an idea there. See, that's not necessarily body horror. Yeah, it's like I would classify Human Centipede as more of a torture horror than I would a body horror. It but does carry the motif of like what makes us human. Like they are human, he is becoming less human. Correct. Like it, it but like like spiritually less human. Correct. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> Human Centipede is just such a weird fucking movie. Like I feel like we gave it too much credence. Like I feel like yeah. I feel like people saying its praises way too much. Just like that movie uh, Teeth. Did you ever see that? Uh, did not see Teeth, but I know about it. That was another one when we were kids where it's like everybody's like, oh, this is so fucking scary. And then you watch it and you're like, I mean, this is more social commentary than anything, but it's rather boring. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, um, if you want to, if you liked Teeth, check out a movie from France called Raw. It's the same type of thing, but it's a little better done and way grosser. It has cannibalism in it. Hmm. <laughs> 
um we might cover that one on here one day like one day i want to do international horror for october Ooh, that would be fun yeah it would be fun uh let us know what you guys want to hear for uh horror uh so what did you think of the special effects like i mean like that's like kind of like the big thing for the movie is the special effects yeah yeah no it, it they're really great honestly like there's very little about it that was like uh campy or hokey or like you know lowbrow i i feel like it was all like really well done like it's all like super like effective it's just really gross and i guess that's a part of it being super effective <laughs> exactly um i th- and i also think this is probably jeff goldblum's best movie by far really oh yeah is it goldblum or goldblum i think it's goldblum I, I've always said Goldblum, but I'm like, am I mispronouncing it? Have we all been mispronouncing it? Uh, you know what? The intent is there. The intent is there. We're trying. We're trying, Jeff. Come on the podcast. Let us know. Yeah, we all know what we're talking about. We all know who we're talking about. And if you do come here, you'll get a specially made cocktail by our own Jonathan, which we're also going to get right now. John, what did you make? All right, well, um, I wanted to do something like super sugary because what a flies love sugar throughout the movie he's just like eating donuts the whole time it's like eating chocolate bars the whole time because he's you know got like fly jeans in him and he's craving sugar because that's what flies love i guess so i thought that i'd play on that and then i was like okay cool well, it's a sci-fi movie and you know he keeps talking about the plasma pool so that's what i call this cocktail with the plasma pool cocktail Ooh. so you know it's summertime and uh i was thinking like okay what's up the cool we can do for summertime how about popsicles how about orange creamsicle okay well orange creamsicle is kind of a polarizing flavor I've made a few of these over the years because this is not a new cocktail idea. The problem is that a lot of people just don't get down with orange creamsicle. Which is surprising because orange is like... The new black. (laughs) Shut up. Um, Orange is... Like, I feel like a lot of liqueurs, like, use orange. So the fact that people wouldn't like something that's specifically orange, even though that... I'm assuming what you're going to be putting into this is orange-flavored. Like, it's like... What did you want? Did you want the orange flavor completely gone? Right, right, right. No, and I think what I wanted to do here was make an orange creamsicle cocktail for the people that don't love orange creamsicle. Because I am one of those people. I don't love orange creamsicle flavored things. But I think there's a time and there's a place. And I think this is that time and place. Oh, yeah. Like hot summer. Like Yeah. Hot. Uh, we are in the midst of the whitest white boy summer. How could you not want something like this? <laughs> exactly. Lay it on me. All right, cool. So uh, the ingredients you're going to need, I'm just going to start doing this, I think, from now on, where I just tell you what the ingredients are up top, so there's no surprises. So uh, you're going to need whipped cream vodka, you're going to need Cointreau, and you're going to need regular vodka. You're also going to need orange soda, and you're going to need some vanilla cream soda. You could probably just get cream soda and maybe add a drop of vanilla extract to the end product. I would be careful with that. Make sure you like vanilla. Uh, So to start out, you're going to need like a highball glass. Go ahead and fill it with ice. Okay, cool. Then you're going to take your shakers, you're going to put a half ounce of whipped cream vodka, half ounce of Cointreau, and a full ounce of regular vodka in there. Shake it up on ice, strain it out, over the ice, goes to the bottom of the glass. Cool. Then you're going to take about two, two and a half ounces of that vanilla cream soda. I use like the New York Seltzer Co. version that you can get in the little bottles. Really good stuff if you like that. I'm not a big cream soda guy, but for the purpose of this cocktail, it really, really worked. So then you're going to just pour that right in over the top. It's going to get kind of a little frothy on the ice, you know, because you're pouring the carbonated beverage over the ice. This is kind of the way it goes. Um, and then you're going to take your orange soda. I used a Red Rock orange soda for this because I think Red Rock beverages are awesome. Uh, but I think that really any orange soda would work, whatever your favorite is. Uh, and then you top it with that. So after you put the vanilla cream soda in there, you're going to want to put the orange soda on top. So 
I used a Red Rock orange soda because uh, I think Red Rock drinks are awesome. You don't really have to use that. You could use any of your favorite orange sodas, I think. I'm not exactly sure how the flavor will play out with vanilla specifically, but your mileage may vary, whatever you like. I know people get kind of attached to orange sodas for whatever reason. So, and you're just going to top the glass with that. Uh, for me, that was about five and a half, six ounces on top. Uh, I was, again, using that highball glass, so uh, your mileage may vary on size and volume. So, uh, just mix it together and there you go. You get something that has like a subtle kind of creamy vanilla flavor. And in a science experiment of your own, you have managed to make a orange cream sickle cocktail without any orange or cream ingredients inside of it. That's beautiful, man. I love it. I yeah, think, that's the uh, the plasma pool. <laughs> I think the, I think, it, I can I add an addition to this? Sure. I think you should get one of those SpongeBob popsicles from like Ooh. the ice cream truck. But, like, purposefully melt the face a little bit and then put it in there and it goes with the movie. That would be kind of fun. I don't know why Spongebob, but sure. Uh, Did Jeff Goldblum do any work for Nickelodeon? I'm pretty sure he was on an episode of Spongebob. I think everybody's been on an episode of Spongebob at this point. I just think that, like, I never got a Spongebob pop that looked like the thing. And sometimes they would be terrifyingly disfigured when you opened it. They give them the black gumball eyes and it's not the move. Who puts gumballs in ice cream, by the way? And why would you? And why, heard... and why would you put them at the top? Because at the top, you're still eating the like solid ice cream. It would make more sense to put them towards the bottom so they have some time to warm up. Look, you could buy any ice cream, but you chose this one because it is anatomically correct to SpongeBob. <laughs> That's why you bought it, not because it made sense, but because it was anatomically correct ice cream. I I. Is his little sponge penis on there? I never saw that. No, SpongeBob doesn't have a dick. That's canon. Wait, wait, hold on. It's canon that he doesn't have a dick? He runs around without his pants on half the time. But he has an ass. I didn't say ass. (laughs) Well, I mean, I just like, where does he pee out of then? He's a sea creature. Redacted. Whatever. <laughs> he's a sponge. You're, you're just. Why do you think he's yellow? You're not gonna let me in on your secrets, so I just don't even want to have this conversation anymore. <laughs> so I want to see John Waters on an episode of SpongeBob, since apparently everyone's been on an episode of SpongeBob. You want to see who? John Waters. John Waters. I'd be surprised if he hasn't at least been approached. I mean, like he is. He has a very specific voice. Yes. And I love, I love, like, I really want to go see his Christmas show that he does every year in Baltimore, especially because I'm super close to Baltimore. Well, not super close, like an hour and a half, but like still. Yeah, you're still closer than I am after moving to freaking Alabama. Oh, fuck. Yeah, uh, big news, everybody. Yeah, uh, I live in Alabama now. Yeah, uh, John decided to move to Alabama and um, it's kind of ruining our whole coast to coast shtick. Now we're just running up and down one coast and it's probably the worst one. Let's be real. That's what most of you guys are doing anyway for your entire lives. Yeah, most of you guys never left the town that you went to high school in, so I don't want to hear it. Yeah, you you all start somewhere south of New York City. At some point you go and you try New York, and then you either leave before you're old or you go from New York to Florida. Or or you end up like me, you shoot for New York City, end up in Pennsylvania. Hey, I mean, you're you're close. It, it's two hours. It's two hours. You just get on the turnpike and you go. You just go. You you have the little thing. You have the turnpike. You have the easy pass scanner. It scans your thing. Boom. There you go, kid. 20 bucks. Get you to New 20 York. 20 bucks for the turnpike? Well, depending on where you're going. 
This is not a Turnpike podcast. This is not a DOT podcast. If you want a DOT podcast, let us know. <laughs> what I will say is uh, I live in Harrisburg, and when I went from the Harrisburg Turnpike entrance to the uh, Pittsburgh entrance, that is about three hours, like 200-something miles. That costed me $20. Oh, uh, was it worth it? Um, Yeah, considering that going any other way would have taken me five or six hours. Pennsylvania is a huge state. I don't understand why. Why You don't understand why they make it that way? Why did they make it that way? We should have East and West Pennsylvania. Oh, West Sylvania and East Sylvania. <laughs> well, the Republicans would like that too much. That's why they'll never split Pennsylvania. They might put the Carolinas back together, though. We'll see. Oh, wow. Yeah, that'd be all right. Uh, if you go from one to the other or you live in one and work in the other half of Pennsylvania, you're Transylvanian. You know what, John? I'm almost craving the company of Frank Synopsis more than you at this point. As a matter oh, is he here? Uh, I mean, he's always here. He's always in our hearts, even if he's not here physically. But he does happen to be here physically today. Uh, oh, okay, cool. Well, let's let him in then. Yep, let's let him in. Alrighty. So, if you are new to the podcast, Frank Synopsis is a, uh, we guesstimate, a 173-year-old man who lives in Central Park, but he comes here to Pennsylvania to our uh, podcast studio, is what we call it, even though we are all never in the same place. And uh, he reads a synopsis of the movie for you because we know you're too lazy to watch the movie. I can understand not watching a book. I can't understand not watching an hour and a half movie. You are going to watch... And you were going to watch three hours of YouTube videos anyway, but you just won't put on a movie. Or you were going to watch four episodes of a TV show, but you won't watch a movie. That's very weird. You should ask your therapist why you are the way you are. Anyway, Frank, welcome. Hi, glad to be here. <laughs> Frank, so how is summer in Central Park going for you? Well, you know, uh, I, I think John might have mentioned it. I heard you through the door. I can hear a lot of things. Uh, it's the whitest white boy summer on record. Oh, it is the whitest white boy summer on record. Um, I shudder to ask why. Well, it's just, you know, you, you go outside and you look up in the sky and all of a sudden all you can see is white. Ah, uh, yes, Frank, that could be your 173-year-old corneas burning. You should stop looking at the sun. Huh. Who'd have thought? Yeah, you're going to have SpongeBob ice cream gumball eyes if you're not careful. Oh, I see. Anatomically correct. Why does everyone keep saying that? So, Frank... Did, did you have a chance to, or did you ever see the 1986 The Fly with Jeff Goldblum? Oh, of course, of course, of course. Seth is actually a man after my own heart. Jeff Goldblum or Seth Brundle, the character? Oh, Seth Brundle. He's always talking about jumping off into the plasma pools. And I mean, frankly, I love jumping into the plasma pools head first. But the last time I did, they, they asked me to never come back to a Red Cross facility. Frank, I'm going to ask you this one time. Are you the Joker? No. Okay. Well, I've just never... I don't think so. I've never seen you and the Joker in the same room, so I don't know. I'm not convinced. Anyway, why don't you tell our audience about The Fly? All right. Seth Brundle is a rather impatient scientist. For years, he's been working to perfect teleportation with his telepods. He's on the brink of breakthrough, but he has yet to have a human test subject. One night after a fight with his girlfriend, Ronnie, he decides to test the telepod on himself. Unfortunately, his trip had an uninvited passenger, a housefly. Brundle and the fly become melted into one being. We have to wonder, where does man begin and fly end? Beautiful. That was almost, oh, like, that was beautiful. That was beautifully written, Frank. Thank you. Oh, you're absolutely welcome. I'm glad I saw the movie before I didn't see anything anymore. <laughs> well, Frank, 
we're glad that we got to see you one last time before your eyeballs have to be surgically removed. Well, I guess we'll see what happens now. I got happy white boy summer, everybody. Happy, um, yeah, any boy, any boy. If you're a boy, uh, whether you were born a boy or not, we don't care. It's your summer. It's everybody's summer. <laughs> John, are you back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Frank's trying to get us canceled again. Summer's in the public domain. It's summer's in the public domain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I just heard you guys yelling about white boy summer. Yeah, no, it's um, it's anybody's summer. Um, we're trying to not get canceled again here. Um, ah, uh, see. <laughs> Can't get banned in China for the third time this year. Oh, no, this will get us banned in China, but that's actually good. Yeah, they don't believe in White Boy Summer. They don't celebrate it. Well, I mean, I don't see why they would, but <laughs> I don't see why anyone would. Um, white white men need to be exterminated. We're done with them. We've had enough of no, them. No, white boys. There's a difference. I don't like, th- I don't like that you're giving a distinction here. <laughs> I'm just saying what Frank was talking about in the lobby, I think. Oh, okay. I understand what you mean. Okay, so let's get this shit show on the fucking road. This has been a fucking nightmare of an episode already. We're going to go through, like, some of, like, the basic Wikipedia info. Like, if you just, like, hit that little drop-down menu on Wikipedia when you look up The Flying 1986, this is what you're going to see. But I went ahead and clicked all the other links that that it, like, hyperlinks to for you so that you don't have to. And that's why you listen to this. So The Fly from 1986 is directed by David Cronenberg, who is also famous for A History of Violence, Scanners, and Videodrome. John, you should watch Videodrome. You would like that one. They are on my to-watch list. Good. Uh, The screenplay is by Charles Edward Pogue, who also wrote Psycho 3, which is actually very good, weirdly enough. And uh, David Cronenberg. We'll get into that later. Uh, It is based on the short story The Fly by George uh, Langlin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to go with Langolin. Langolin. Langolanlan. Langolin? It reminds me of Langoliers. Have you ever seen the Langoliers? No, I haven't. Uh, it's a Stephen King TV series, TV special, I guess. You should watch it. It's good. Okay. Uh, also, Rose Red. I think I've talked about that on here before. Another you have. Stephen King TV short. Very good. Yeah, I I have to watch things that you suggest to me because like, I, I, I feel like I end up not watching them unless you make me watch them. <laughs> That's what March Madness is for. (laughs) That's what March Madness is for. All right, back to the flop. Maybe we'll do all Stephen King next year. Ooh, like, um, we should definitely do Creep Show then, because that's like your two favorites. That's Stephen King and George A. Romero. Yeah, 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 that's true. That is true. Not this movie, though. This movie's The Fly, and it was produced by... Stuart Kornfeld. Um, Kornfeld. It's like Seinfeld and Cornfield. <laughs> this is what happens when you put Garfield and Jerry Seinfeld into the, into the telepod and they come out mixed. It's Stuart Kornfield. Kornfeld. <laughs> I, I don't like this. I don't like it either, but let's talk about Stuart Kornfeld. Uh, so apparently, uh, did you ever see Tropic Thunder? Yes, actually, I have seen that. You know the character that Tom Cruise plays, Les Grossman? Yes. He is based on this guy. That's funny. <laughs> he also produced Tenacious D, which is like, uh, that. you are a saint of a man. Thank you. Uh, isn't uh, Jack Black's also in Tropic Thunder? Jack, Jack Black is also in Tropic Thunder, yes. We're playing- Do you think he's a personal friend of Stuart Kornfeld? <laughs> I don't know. But we are we are now officially playing the IMDb game now. <laughs> oh, there's a game for that? I We'll talk about it later. We'll talk, we'll about, ta- it off we'll ta- we'll talk about it off air. Okay. So this movie stars Jeff Goldblum as uh, St- as Seth Brundle. Um, if Jesus came back, he'd be Jeff Goldblum. Uh, he is a national treasure. Turns out 
also Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> oh, did you go? Did you go to JewOrNotJew.com? I did actually, and I'm using that on a um, a privacy browser now because I'm becoming less and less convinced of its legitimacy and its usefulness. <laughs> um, I don't think it's very useful at all. Wikipedia could give you the same information. Also, maybe we shouldn't have a list of Jewish people. I think uh, someone else tried that, and it wasn't very nice. Um, uh, you know what? Now that you mention it, that's bad. Yeah, the- uh, I'm, I'm a big big of me. <laughs> that's bad. <laughs> God, you moved to Alabama and you became a better person. I think you're the first person to ever do that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Gina Davis as Ronnie Qualf. Uh, I don't even remember her ever saying her name in the movie, so I don't know. But uh, if you don't know, she's the mom in Stuart Little, and she is also one of the ghosts in Beetlejuice. Uh Uh-huh. Do you remember her from Beetlejuice? Don't remember her from Stuart Little. Uh, Less for her, I guess. (laughs) Less for her. (laughs) And uh, John gets as Stasis Borens. Uh, he his other f- claim to fame is being in the Fly Two. It, I guess if you had to have any other claim to fame, that's a good one. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, the music is by Howard Shore, who also did the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit trilogies. Oh yeah. Uh, the production companies are Brooks Films and SNL SLM Production Group. Yeah, you mean to tell me Lauren Michaels wasn't the stunt double for Jeff Goldblum doing all those flips? <laughs> you thought we were going to get away from SNL one more time, but you were fucking wrong. I'm just kidding. This is distributed by 20th Century Fox. Um, a little weird on that one. We'll get into that later. Uh, its release date was August 15th, 1986, uh, with a budget of 9 to $15 million and a box office return of $60.6 million. Not bad. Not bad at all. This one is a success. <laughs> Officially rated success. Yay. Yay. Yor did it. Uh, <laughs> let's get into it, guys. Uh, so producer Kip Orman, uh, RIP, he died in 1987. His only other produced film is The Hitcher from 86. Hmm. Anyway, Kip Ullman approached screenwriter Charles Edward Pogue about remaking the 1958 horror movie The Fly. Uh, Pogue read the original short story and watched the film and decided it was a project that he wanted to work on. He hit up producer Stuart Kornfeld, who Kornfeld, Kornfeld, and uh, who immediately agreed to produce the film. The duo took the idea to 20th Century Fox back when they were their own studio, and they also quickly gave Pogue the money to write the first script. Uh, Pogue wrote the first draft. Clo- very closely to the original, where the metamorphosis was instantaneous. However, he and Kornfeld thought it would be scarier and more interesting to show the metamorphosis over time. Uh, they rewrote that, they took the script to Fox, and they fucking hated it. And they withdrew Whoa, from gas. the <laughs> They withdrew from the film immediately. They said, this is fucking disgusting, and you are a monster. <laughs> He's the monster. He's Cornfeld's the monster. I mean, we already said it's Jerry Seinfeld and Garfield mixed together. Why do I keep getting this image of the the titular cartoon cat Garfield wearing like overalls and a straw hat and just walking around going, "What's up with that?" <laughs> What's the deal with corn, huh? What's that? What about lasagna? You ever have a corn lasagna? I, I shudder to think what corn lasagna is because if anyone ever handed me lasagna with corn in it i'd punch them in the face i don't even think actual vegetable lasagna has corn in it vegetable lasagna have you never had vegetable lasagna no it's fine <laughs> obviously I, it must not be that great um sorry are enchiladas lasagna 
because enchiladas have corn in them sometimes. Uh, Kornfeld was still determined to make the film, however. Uh, he was able to convince Fox to distribute the film, but secured the funds elsewhere. Uh, quick side note, this means that Disney owns the distribution rights for The Fly. That's awesome, because they also own The Simpsons, so, you know, they could probably do a mashup there if they haven't already. Probably have. Oh, yeah, I mean, like... The Simpsons have pretty much parodied everything, especially Citizen Kane. I don't know if I mentioned this in the Citizen Kane episode, but they've actually parodied every scene from Citizen Kane at this point, to the point where the producers have actually super cut all of those scenes together to make the Citizen Kane. That's hilarious. Yeah, I think someone's pro someone's probably done it on YouTube, but I mean, it's rather interesting. Um, mm -hmm. So the new producer on the film was, drumroll please... All right, and I'll give you three guesses. Do you guys have your guess in mind? Do you know who you think it's going to be? I bet you fucking don't. It's Mel Brooks. Way. I guess you didn't need Wikipedia to know he's also Jewish. <laughs> Redacted. Um, so this is through his production company, Brooks Films, that we mentioned earlier. Uh, so it is. He founded this production company uh, originally because he wanted to produce David Lynch's Elephant Man. Uh, he mm. thought if people saw Bell Brooks presents the Elephant Man on a poster, they would think it's a comedy. Uh, word to the wise: It is not. I see. Is this about the life of the Elephant Man? It is pretty. Um, it is pretty sad. It is pretty sad what they did to that man. Um, In the same way that this is a body horror, I think that could be considered a god comedy. God comedy. Anyway, Brooks loved the script for The Fly, but thought that Pogue wasn't a good fit for the script. Uh, he brought in Wald. Wallen Green. Uh, he wrote The Wild Bunch and a bunch of episodes of NYPD Blue. Uh, he brought him in to rewrite the script. Uh, Brooks hated that even more, so he rehired Pogue and polished the script. So this this has gone through a couple of writers at this point. Um, so what would seem? David Cronenberg was the crew's first choice as the director, but he was unavailable due to uh, pre-production on Total Recall. And uh, for those of you who aren't John and watch movies, uh, I know what you're thinking. Cronenberg didn't do Total Recall, but if you just sit patient, I will get to it, okay? He always delivers. I always... Every time we say we'll get to it, we always get to it. Mm, false advertising. So another director had to be selected. Uh, Robert Bierman, who directed Vampire's Kiss, a 1989 horror comedy film starring Nick Cage, was selected. Yes, anything starring Nick Cage is also a god comedy. Correct, because he is in fact god. Uh, Pre-production on the fly was underway when tragedy struck for Bierman. Uh, his family was vacationing in South Africa, and his daughter was unfortunately killed in a car accident. Oh. So he got on the next plane to South Africa and dropped out of the film. Now, tragedy aside, David Cronenberg had recently left production on Total Recall over creative differences and now agreed to come direct the fly his only condition was that he wanted to rework the script and how far into the movie are they oh they had just like started like you know getting the cast together like they hadn't started shooting anything yet okay okay that makes it a little easier and um on that note with uh his condition to his condition to rewrite the script i am 98 percent sure mel brooks just went fine just fucking make this movie please god damn it like, we're so done. Just just fucking do whatever you want and get this done. Wait, 
Did you say Mel Brooks directed The Elephant Man? No, David Lynch directed The Elephant Man. Mel Brooks produced it. Oh, Melephant Brooks. Fuck off. <laughs> Just fuck all the way off. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Melephant Brooks. That's what I'm gonna name this episode Melephant Brooks. Please do. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry for that. <laughs> it's staying in. The kid stays in the picture. All right, let's get back into it. So Cronenberg changed most of the dialogue and characters for the film. Uh, for example, in Pogue's script, Seth and Ronnie were already married, and uh, Seth loses his ability to speak about two-thirds into the script. Cronenberg wanted him to be articulate for as long as possible to uh, to so that he could dictate and describe and add humanity to the suffering. As weird as that sounds, I think they really did a good job with that. Like, I think that actually really sells the story more. Yeah, like, when you get to hear his thoughts, his and the fly's thoughts, because they're now melding into one. It's yes, just... insect politics. Insect politics. <laughs> he also layered in all the gross stuff in the film and added themes of sexuality and personal identity. Yes, love seeing uh, Jeff Goldblum in the tidy whities <laughs> themes of sexuality and personal identity for everyone else that watches the movie. You know, I, I think about that scene a lot where he just wakes up and decides to start doing pull-ups. Yeah. I, I have never been able to do a pull-up in my life, so if I just magically one day was able to do one, I would immediately go to a doctor. That's strange. I, I say that's strange. That's actually not strange at all. It's very strange for people to be able to do pull-ups, I think. It is a very difficult exercise. Well, it just requires that you are able to, with your arms, take the entire weight of your lower body, which is 98% of your body. Yeah, yeah, thereabouts, you know. So if you can't deadlift your own body, then you're going to have a bad time. It just, it seems weird that they make children do it. Do they? Yeah, remember, like, it was part of the presidential fitness test. Oh, the presidential fitness test. Yes, the person that I most want to please. <laughs> the president. Yeah, whoever that happens to be that year. I'm so glad the president knows that my little child body is good physical shape. I think it's it's not just weird, like, you know, presidents are presidents. They do their thing. That's fine. That's whatever. But, like, to know that it's just generic presidential. Mmm. It could be anyway. Which president is the most inspiring for you to do physical activity? <laughs> I don't know, but I'll do anything for Nancy Reagan. Uh, ironically, uh, probably FDR. <laughs> I'm running for FDR. You're running for FDR. Um, I'm yeah. losing this weight because I gotta get a I gotta get a date with the throat goat Nancy Reagan. Oh, I see. Uh, that's a um a, te a Teddy Roosevelt. That's a Teddy Roosevelt thing. No, gotta be. <laughs> Are you just ignoring Nancy Reagan, the throat goat? Are you just no, no, no. I'm trying to think about which one would be the most inspiring to become like, to be like the paragon of uh, masculinity. Um, I mean, I think personally that Howard Taft gave the least amount of fucks out of any president, so I'm going to go Taft. That is probably true. Um, William Henry Harrison. True, true. Die of tuberculosis at the finish line of the run. <laughs> They are all mostly winners as long as you don't pick Andrew Jackson. That's We'll start with that. We'll start there. We'll start with don't pick. If he's your pick for most inspiring president to do physical activity for... Uh, Kill yourself. <laughs> um, anyway. I, d no. <laughs> no, don't. We didn't say that. We didn't say that. You didn't hear that. Redacted. Redacted. Um, let's get back to this. Jesus Christ. So... 
Even though the scripts uh, varied greatly, Cronenberg insisted that he and Pogue share the writing credit because he felt like without Pogue's script, he wouldn't have been able to write the script that he did. And I think that's very fair. Mm. Uh, Cronenberg originally wanted to cast John Lithgow as Seth, but John Lithgow turned it down because he thought it was too grotesque. Fuck you, John Lithgow. You know what, though? Maybe he was onto something. (laughs) He he decided to do this. He decided not to do this, but he did Shrek. That's grotesque. Yeah, no, that's a bit of a double standard. That's I a think. huge double standard. So with John Lithgow bowing out, uh, Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis are selected for the film. Uh, Chris Wallace was selected to do the makeup. Uh, he was selected because of his work on Gremlins. You know what? I see it. You can totally see it. You definitely see it in Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> I wish Jeff Goldblum was in Gremlins. That would just... Uh, well, I, I meant the, uh, you're right. I also wish Jeff Goldblum was in Gremlins. <laughs> what did you mean? I, what I meant was the makeup that's on Jeff Goldblum when he's playing Seth. Oh, okay. I get you. <laughs> but that too. I, I see what you mean. <laughs> I want to see his face superimposed, annoying orange style onto the car that they keep saying has Gremlins in it. <laughs> what? You know, they keep talking about the car and how it's a foreign car. It's like, oh, the foreign cars are all full of gremlins because they're using the term gremlin the way it's meant to be used, not to refer to a a small mogwai-type derivative creature. (laughs) Okay, I get what you're saying. Like, actual gremlins, like like what are featured on the the Twilight Zone episode, Terror at 10,000 Feet or whatever. Yeah, 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 kind of like that. I, I... I personally take responsibility for running a soft base this time. Okay. So Chris Wallace uh, started work on the effects with the final Brundle fly. That's what they called it. Um, they call <laughs> He started with the final bun- Brundle fly and worked backwards to get the other stages of the transformation. Huh. So do you make a backup? D- uh, a backup? I'm sure they had several of the br- Brundle flies because um, they are actually all puppets. The final... So... You see Seth in, like, seven different stages. The final two stages are puppets. It is not actually Jeff Goldblum. That makes sense. So, like, everything basically in the final scene is puppets. Um, So, principal photography for this began on December 1st, 1985, which, can you imagine going to work on this and then going home and decorating your Christmas tree with your family? Um, you know what? Work stays at work. You know, I mean, you could say the same thing about a lot of uh, a lot of professions. You know, you could say the same thing about being an exotic dancer. <laughs> could you imagine going to work and then you know you get off at three and the next morning you wake up and it's time for uh, decorating the Christmas tree? Like, yeah, of course. You know, people do that all the time. Uh, could you imagine being uh, President Taft, have to inspire all those children to do pull-ups and then you know going home to do the Christmas tree? I mean, you work at home like we talked about earlier because you're the president. You live there. Can you imagine being the guy who has to scrape the dead bodies off the highway when they're when they are ejected from the cars in an accident and then go home and kiss your mother and go to Easter service? Can you imagine doing that? You know what, man? I can't. <laughs> Big of me again, Alabama moment. I can't imagine being that guy. John Kaplan, Alabama man. Alabama man. It's like the Florida man, but it's like the skunk ate to the Sasquatch. Don't bring up Sasquatch again. Uh, So Brian Ferry wrote and recorded a song for the film called Help Me. Uh, Brian Ferry, if you don't know who he is, he's kind of the non-memified version of Rick Astley. So 
Rick Astley pre-2003? I mean, I feel like people still made fun of Rick Astley even then. Like, it's kind of a silly song at a, at a certain point. This guy makes, like, serious music. Okay, okay. Um, Fair enough. So, after... So, the song was originally in the film. So, after so showing good. the song to test audiences and Mel Brooks, um, they all agreed that the song does not fit the movie and it was removed. Uh, it can still mm. be heard on the radio in the bar scene, however... Oh, well, they paid for the rights. They already paid for the song, so... Yeah, they already they paid for the production of the song, so you gotta use it somewhere. Uh, Tess audiences also really didn't like two infamous cut scenes. Um, mm. I do believe these are available on the Blu-ray. I do not own the Blu-ray. I'm working on it. It's uh, It only comes in, like, a collection that is typically $50, and I just never pulled the trigger on it. Um, so these... So these uh, deleted scenes, uh, one was an, was an experiment late in the film by Seth where he fused a monkey and a cat together. That's gross. So this was cut so the audience would still have some sort of sympathy for Seth because this is kind of late in the thing where he's kind of turning evil or kind of like giving into the insect politics. Right, right, right. So and this was absolutely disgusting. Like I've seen this scene and it's gross. Really? So you would say that objectively it's gross from, like, everything else in the film it stands out as gross? Correct. Why? Why a, why a, why a cat? Why, why, why the baboon and the cat? Um, I mean, I don't know, but it's also why you don't see the baboon in some of the later scenes. They just don't really explain why the baboon's not there anymore. Ah, uh, he had to go out for tests or something. <laughs> he, he got out of here before it got bad. I mean, I always assumed that he ate it. Oh, maybe he just quit while he was ahead. The monkey knew better than Gina Davis. That's amazing. Um, the monkey hopefully was also not pregnant. So <laughs> Hopefully not. Speaking of which, that's the other deleted scene. So the other deleted scene is uh, her giving birth and dying, by the way. Oh. Um, and the baby comes out as like this weird butterfly human mixture. And um, it grossed everyone out. So it was cut. <laughs> That is some dead alive shit right there. Dead alive. God, I need to see that movie. He keeps saying he's going to do a 4K restoration of that movie, and it just hasn't come out yet. I need it. Oh, oh, do, do we need that? First off, um, yes, and maybe we end up talking a little bit more about this later on, but like the whole... Um, uh, every time we do this, every time we have a movie with something that could be like oh yeah tangentially related to something culturally relevant it ends up getting blown way out of proportion like when we did um pulp fiction john travolta no we did greece with john travolta and unfortunately john travolta's wife passed away uh we have done a couple of things like that where there's something big that happens and we're like i'm really sorry that this happened really unfortunate timing did we have to do the fly right after roe v wade got repealed <laughs> i mean we took a week off we had this plan for like five weeks yeah exactly like it's um what exactly about this would be controversial with Roe v. Wade, though? Most of this hinges on whether or not she can get the abortion. Oh, that is true. Fuck. Yes. And apparently gave birth to a half-human, half-butterfly in the cutscene. Yeah, and she... not Still not Gina Davis, but in the fly, too. That's what it starts with. It starts with the birth. They just refilmed it with a different actress. Oh, I see. So she didn't want to come back for that, huh? I mean, I, I can't imagine anyone would want to. Jeff Goldblum also did not come back. The only person that came back was, um, fuck, what's his name? John Getz. 
Right, right, right. His uh, famous film title ads of Fly 2. Yes, sir. Alright, so let's talk about the release of this film. So it was a critical and commercial success, which frankly shocked everyone involved. <laughs> they did not think they were going to make their money back on this, or that it would be critically praised. Um, mm -hmm. Cronenberg was surprised when critics saw the film as a metaphor for AIDS. Hmm. Um, Cronenberg meant for the film to be more about disease in general, mostly terminal cancer. He also said it was his take on the aging process. I see what he means with the cancer thing. It's funny because, like, I was watching this and my wife walked in at, like, a really gross part of the movie. And so I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is just gross. But, like, the thing about it is, like, the plot is, like, really exciting. And, like, if you just take the fly stuff out and just replace it with, like, cancer, like, it's a really compelling story. And it's like... Okay, yeah, apparently that's what David Cronenberg thought too. Yeah, so, it, I mean, he usually has a reason behind the grossness. Like, it's not always just disgusting for disgusting sake. That's what separates this from, like, Cannibal Holocaust, like we said. I just want to open this up for a general discussion. Um, this film is considered Cronenberg's best film. Uh, personally, I like Videodrome better. I think that this is considered his best film by most people because it's his most accessible film, like I said earlier. Do you think the accessibility of it makes it more worthwhile for people, or is it truly just that it's not quite as gross as his other movies? Uh, I think that it's recognizable. People know about the story of The Fly. Like you said, it was a short story. It was a movie before this. It is a movie here. And um, I want to say there is either a movie that has been made since that is its spiritual remake or is an actual remake. Is, is that correct? There is no other remake of this, but definitely a lot of things have either parodied or used this as a jumping off point. Yeah, so it exists like pretty uh, substantially in the pop culture. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, like, it, and I think that that I think the overall theme of the movie is what just keeps it in line. And I, I mean, I just it's really compelling because like he's just trying to do the damn thing. Like he's trying to, you know, just take the take the plunge and make a big leap for science. But really, he ends up just destroying himself. Yeah. And it was an accident. You know, it wasn't even like he was doing anything bad he like by the standards of the time like obviously animal testing is kind of is kind of like a, a faux pas now to like animal test on something like as intelligent as a baboon but you know back in the day that wasn't quite so shocking i guess i think there's a lot of philosophy in it you know like there's a lot of tragedy in it and it it is a great story independent of it being a weird and maybe great sci-fi piece Correct. I completely agree. I'm glad that we see eye to eye on this one because I think, like I said, I felt like you would really like this one. Yeah, and I mean, the acting is also good. Like, oh, great to see Jeff Goldblum. Great to see everybody else. Everybody does a pretty good job in this considering the time and the budget and the setting and like all that stuff. Considering all the things, it's a pretty good movie. Yeah, and uh, that was the other thing I wanted to talk about. It's like, I'm so glad Jeff Goldblum did this movie because he is a really good actor but I feel like sometimes he leans into his Goldblumisms, and there are a lot here, but they feel very natural to the character. And it's like, it almost feels, it almost takes this like thing that was like a 50s sci-fi, like horror movie, like type feel. And it like makes it really grounded. Like, I feel like he's very good at taking like insane characters and grounding them a little bit because he himself is like a little odd. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like he has this very interesting speech pattern he's jeff goldblum yeah like and yeah. I, i've i like him in anything i've ever seen him in even if he's in a bad movie i like him in it but 
I don't know. This one just stands out to me. I feel like this really, like, I, I could not see anyone else playing this character. Yeah, I see what you mean. Um, it's who was it that they wanted to get John Lithgow to do it? Yeah, yeah, it wouldn't have done. Wouldn't have been the same thing. I mean, not at all. Uh, no, and I mean, who else? But Apartments.com, Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> yes, yes, Jeff Goldblum. I, I really, I do shudder to think who they would have gotten for this. Like, because I feel like anybody else, like I wouldn't have bought the camp of it. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, a young Lloyd Kaufman. Lo- young Lloyd Kaufman. I think this has, like, actually, this is almost trauma-scented. Not trauma-flavored, but trauma-scented. You know, I guess I could see that, but, like, I feel like it's almost, like, elevated in a way. It's, like, elevated trauma. This is what trauma aspires to be in the, like, visual sense. This is, um, this movie grew up in Tromaville, but moved to New York City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And went yeah, to yeah. film and then school. then it's going to move south to Florida for Fly 2. <laughs> fly 2, it, th- Florida is the Fly 2 of states. I agree. It is also the Australia of America. I would almost say that Texas is the Australia of America. I think so. I think, so. I think so. it's just, it's just really hot and everything wants to kill you. Well, I mean, I guess it's just different stuff trying to kill you in Texas. <laughs> not a politics podcast. <laughs> not, 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 a, not a culture, but not an anthropology podcast. Exactly. Anyway, I think it's time we take this fucking shit plane that we've made of an episode in for a landing. Uh, The entire roof is off the plane. It is just just me and John flapping our arms trying to keep this thing together. So let's just land it. Let's just crash land it. Um, John, do you have anything else you want to say about The Fly? No, I just, uh, I I think that this is, um, this is a good movie in a bad movie's clothing you know like it's a really interesting way to look at it but it it does exist that way and i really haven't come across a lot of movies like this so far in our big uh, inflammation podcast experience this is definitely the first of a genre like i i almost wanted to save this and do body horror as a genre for um for halloween but i think i have different plans oh we have well it is rapidly approaching the years keep coming and they don't stop coming as they say who kn- John Lithgow. <laughs> fuck you, John Lithgow. This is officially a fuck you, John Lithgow podcast. But it is not officially a statement made by us on the record. Don't come after us. Correct. We don't have any money. We love you, John Lithgow, but fuck you also. Anyway, so th- this has been For Your Inflammation. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, uh, basically all of the bullshits. Anything you want to find us on, you can find us on. Uh, we may not be very active on certain things. Like, I don't think that we get on MySpace. I don't even know if MySpace is real anymore. No. Is MySpace real? I don't know. Is any of it real? Is is what I'm doing real right now? Probably not. I d- is this the real life or is this just fantasy? I want to swim in a sea of Fanta. I think that they should make that happen. <laughs> anyway, for For Your Inflammation, I'm Zach Graham. And I'm John Kaplan. Watch a new movie this week. Watch a new body horror movie. Don't watch The Fly 2. Don't do that. Watch something else. All right. Bye, guys. Thing else, I just think it's super weird that he lives where he sciences. It is weird, and he is weird for it. And now, it's, but it's like a trope, though. Like it's a trope that they do that, and it's just like, what? Why? <laughs> yeah, it's like, have you seen the things now where they have like a bed? Like basically, it's like it looks like life support equipment, 
around your bed, but instead it's like your monitors for your PC gaming and shit, so you don't have to leave bed to PC game. It's like that. You live where you game, and you game where you live, and you sleep there, and you eat there, and you might also have a bedpan or at least a couple of Mountain Dew Tool in your bottle sitting around. Listen, I respect the hustle, but I can't, I get, I can't get behind it. Now, I, I the, it's like the only thing missing from that equation is a toilet that you can use in your bed. I, that's hence the two liter Mountain Dew bottle. I know, but like an official toilet. I see. What would be great is if you had like a camp toilet, you know, like a Shiwi or some something like that, where you go into it and there's a tube that siphons it off to the side, but it just goes to a two liter Mountain Dew bottle. Well, you got the official receptacle for the toilet. You got to save it later. You got to hurl it at your stepdad. Oh, man, I forgot about that. Oh, he does still live there, doesn't he? I don't know why. <laughs> they got divorced three years ago and he's still living here. Get out of my room, Rodney. Why won't you call me dad? Rodney, Rodney. <laughs> <laughs> Aiden, I'm just trying to relate to you. He comes in, he has like... One of the, he has like one of those uh, floating chairs from freaking. I'm gonna say Wally. What I mean is Dune. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to relate to you, son. Two very different movies. I'm not your son, not dad. <laughs> Aiden, you know what? Similar things. <laughs> Aiden, we we have to relate to each other and get along. Your mom works at the hospital too much. It's just us here, Aiden. Yeah, I know. Why do you think I have this bedpan? <laughs> That's ridiculous. I can't imagine anybody would live that close to their computers and their GTX Storm freaking graphics processors, complete slave to the establishment. Now, 